seems like uh, the first of each year, I know everybody gets into this, or a lot of people get into this thing about New Year's resolutions. And typically, according to statistics anyway, people hold on to them for between two and three weeks and then they're done. But I think it's better to make life resolutions. One of those life resolutions that, that I'm reminded about um, is at the beginning of the year is being led by the Spirit of God. I had the privilege of being around Brother Hagen for about 13 years in close uh, association and relationship with him. And when I first got around him, I was awed by the stories that he'd tell about the power of God. But it wasn't too much longer after I went to school and had the chance to be around him that I I realized that there was something else that I was getting from him that had a much greater impact on me than this, just the, the goosebumps associated with the, the power of God in operation. And that was, I realized that Brother Hagin was more spirit conscious than anybody I'd ever been around. And I didn't know what that was. I never had met anybody that was spirit conscious. Now, when I say spirit conscious, a lot of people think I'm talking about the Holy Ghost, and of course he was. He was always open to the, to the moving of the Holy Ghost and the voice of the Spirit of God. But I don't just mean that because he emphasized in his own life and dedicated himself to developing his own spirit. Well, that was kind of news to me because I'd grown up not even knowing that I was a spirit. And I never had been to a church that had taught me anything about man being a spirit being and uh, our spirits being the conduit for the Holy Ghost leading us and so forth. So there was a lot of new information for me. I, I knew barely more than nothing when, uh, when I first went to Bible school. And the reason I went to Bible school is not because I felt called to the ministry. I just saw something that the Bible school students had in Tulsa uh, going to Brother Hagin's school that I didn't have. And I figured since they all had it, they must have gotten it there. So I wanted to go there and get it too. Well, I didn't realize that that was the leading of the Holy Ghost. If you had asked me or even told me that that was the Holy Ghost leading me, I wouldn't have known anything about it, wouldn't have known whether that was right or not. But there's something about the Spirit of God drawing on our spirit that if we're sensitive to it, creates a pull and a hunger in us like nothing else can. The Bible talks about, Paul talks about in one place right into the Corinthians, he said, deep calls unto deep. Now I know a lot of people have preached some goofy things about that, trying to get into the deep things of God, whatever they think that means. But really I think Paul's just talking about spiritual things called to the spirit of man. The inward things pull on the inward part of man. Spiritual things pull on the spirit of man. And I was privileged to be in a a seminar where Brother Hagin taught on how to be led by the spirit of God. Now he had taught uh, the subject many times before, I'm sure. But it was the the seminar where he, well... Brother Hagin had bukus of books, but he never wrote anything. They were always transcribed sermons. And these are the sermons that were that uh, the book, How to Be Led by the Spirit of God, was transcribed from. And there's not too many things, too many messages that I can point to and say, that one changed my life. Now, there are a couple of people I can point to and say, they changed my life. But this was one of them. This teaching was one of them that just changed everything about my outlook on God, outlook on the world, outlook on my future. It changed my life. So I'm impressed to teach Brother Hagin's teaching. I may add a little bit to it here and there, but I'm going to teach a series on how to be led by the Spirit of God. You found Romans chapter 8 yet? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are 
the sons of God. And notice he's talking about being led by the Spirit of God in connection with being children of God. Literally, he's saying every child of God, every person that's born again, every person that's made Jesus the Lord of their life and has therefore come into the family of God has a right to be led by the Spirit of God. I believe it goes even further than that. It's certainly a right. It's certainly a privilege. But I believe it goes even further than that. I think we would be accurate in saying that every child of God has a responsibility to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, that sounds good, but how are we going to know when we are? How are we going to discern the voice of God? Notice verse 16. The Spirit itself, King James says itself, he's not an it. It should better read the Spirit himself. Beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now turn back with me to Proverbs chapter 20. Even in the Old Testament, the people of God knew something about spirit beings, man being a spirit being and so forth. Verse 27, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, the word candle is the word lamp or light. And literally it's saying, well, it's using an Old Testament uh, example to show us how God wants to lead us and guide us. They didn't have light bulbs like we do and electricity like we do. If they were going to have light in a house or in a, in a room or, or anywhere that they're uh, walking in the dark, they're going to have to use a lamp, a little oil lamp. Well, that's what this is talking about. It's saying the spirit of man is the candle of the lamp of the Lord. It's saying that God will use your spirit to enlighten you. God will use your spirit to guide you for that, for, for that reason. One of the modern-day paraphrases is good on this verse. It says, the spirit of man is the guiding lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, if you were going into a dark room, you would need a light to find something in there. Well, we'd just turn on the light on the light switch on the wall, and the light would give us illumination so that then we could search in that room or wherever the light shined, to find whatever it was that we were looking for. Here it's talking about God showing you and searching the inward parts of you, the inward parts of the belly. In other words, it's saying that the guiding lamp of the Lord, the direction of the Lord, the revelation of the Lord, the direction that God will show you which way to go always comes from within you, not outside you. Proper or in... Um, Romans eight sixteen that we just read bears that out. It says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, Paul is impressed by the Holy Ghost to speak to the Thessalonians about the makeup of man. He defines the makeup of man. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells us that man is a spirit and has a soul and lives in a body. Now, most of the church world thinks the spirit and the soul are the same thing. But they can't be the same thing if Paul delineates between them. Furthermore, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing asunder the to dividing asunder between soul and spirit. Well, if the soul and the spirit were the same thing, they couldn't be divided, could they? So Paul is identifying the total makeup of man, spirit, soul, and body. Now notice that the Holy Ghost does not impress Paul to say in the writing to the Romans in chapter 8 that the spirit of God bears witness with our bodies. Yet physical feelings, a lot of times, is the way people are trying to judge what God wants them to do in life. But nowhere in the Bible does it say God bears witness with or leads you or guides you through your physical senses. In the same manner, there's nowhere in the Bible that says God will lead you through the soul or the mind. 
We can define the soul as the mind, the will, the will and the emotions. We'll talk about that more in depth as we go. But if God doesn't bear witness, if the Holy Ghost doesn't bear witness with our souls, then that means he's not bearing witness with our minds. That means he's not bearing witness with our wills. And it means he's not bearing witness with our emotions. So that means that the spirit has got to be something separate from the mind, the will, and the emotional part of man. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, talking about the difference between the inward man and the outward man. He said, For though our outward man perish or is decaying, the inward man is renewed day by day. Who's this inward man he's talking about? Peter wrote it this way. 1 Peter chapter 3. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. A lot of these verses I'll quote, but some of them I want you to see for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 3. Paul, giving instructions to the wives about reaching their unsaved husbands, says in verse 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Well, is Paul talking about something different than Peter's talking about? When Paul talks about the outward man versus the inward man, Peter talks about the hidden man of the heart and he defines it as the spirit of man. Is he talking about something different? Now, what's the hidden man of the heart hidden from? Well, according to Paul's terminology, he's hidden from the outward man. But, you know, we don't want to build a doctrine on just one verse of Scripture. The Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, knowing full well what he's impressing each of these writers to say, and the right to the church says it this way Paul says beginning in Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 talking about the difference between spiritual Israel and natural Israel the natural descendants of Abraham versus the uh, those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh well we see that the outward man must be the flesh then right He's using the same terminology. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. There's the inward man versus the outward man. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. And not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. So now Paul is identifying that the inward man is the heart. It's also the spirit of man. Well, if it's the spirit of man, then that means it's not the soul of man. We know clearly from the things that have already been said that it's not the outward man, it's not the flesh. But the outward man must include both the body, the physical body, and the mind, the will, and the emotions. Now, Paul talked about himself in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. He said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For I am in a strait betwixt two. I'm in a hard place. I've got a hard decision to make, he said. Well, what's your hard decision, Paul? For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ. Now, what's he talking about? Is he talking about going to another town to be with Jesus? He's talking about departing. Nevertheless, he said, it's more needful for you that I abide in the flesh. Now, who's the I he's talking about? I want to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Well, his body certainly isn't going to depart. What's going to depart? The real him, the spirit. But the tough decision he has to make is, Does he yield to his own desire and go to be with Jesus, which is far better? Notice that these verses of Scripture will answer a lot of questions people have about life after death. 
Paul did not say, for I have a desire to depart and come back as a cow. Or a dog or somebody else. Apparently Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, didn't believe in reincarnation. No, Paul said when he departed, he was going to be with Christ. Notice he didn't say I'd go into soul sleep. Notice he didn't say I'd float around in the heavens like a cloud or any other goofy ideas that some people have. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You know, we shouldn't feel sorry for Christians who go home to be with the Lord. Yeah, we're going to miss them. We sense our loss. But really, for a Christian, most of the tears that are shed at funerals are for us. Not for them. If the Bible's true. Because Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. Far better. He didn't just say a little bit better. He said far better. But here's the decision he's got to make. He knows it'd be better for the church if he stays around and lives in the flesh. See, folks, he's going to live either way. We think of death as being the the end or the cessation of existence. Very rarely does the Bible ever talk about death in that manner. Jesus said to the woman at the well of Samaria in John chapter 4, verse 24, he said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, since the Bible says that we're made in the image and likeness of God, then by definition, we would have to be made spirit beings. If God is a spirit and we're made in his image, man has to be a spirit too. That's a truth that most of the church world hasn't or has failed to recognize, has failed to acknowledge. Well, that spirit, if it's made in the image and likeness of God, an exact copy and an exact duplicate of God. God is an eternal spirit, is he not? There's no end to him. But then man must be an eternal spirit too. So when Paul talks about whether or not he's going to stay here in the body, that's what flesh means. He says to abide in the flesh or in the body is more needful for you. Well, the word abide means to live. So here's the hard decision he's got to make. Does he do what he wants to do and depart him, the man on the inside, depart the body? The body would stay here on the earth, of course. And the real him, the eternal spirit that is Paul, go to be joined with the Lord. That's the way he wants it. But he knows it's better for them if he stays and lives in the body. I believe Paul had some... uh, Uh, How do I say this? Well, I don't know any other way to say it, but this way. I believe Paul had something extra in this regard to identify that he was a spirit being. And you can see why God would show him what he did so that he could leave us the information to learn and to grow by. But when Paul talks about himself, writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it is, He said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Such a one was caught up into heaven, and he says it again, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Now, all Bible scholars agree that Paul was talking about himself. He says he was caught up into heaven, the third heaven, and he heard words that are, King James says, unspeakable, but that's not what it means. It doesn't mean God wouldn't let him tell. It means he doesn't have any words to compare to what he saw. Or to describe what he saw. Well, now let me ask you a question. How could Paul not know whether he was in the body or out of the body? He must have been alone. Because if you or I had been there and he disappeared in body, physical form, we'd known that, wouldn't we? So he must have been by himself. And so when he had this experience, when he was caught up into the third heaven, he didn't know whether he was in the body or out of the body. Now, that blows a lot of people's doctrine about what happens after you die right there. Because if the body is such the hindrance as everybody thinks that it is, everybody meaning the majority of the church world, 
And if all we have to do is be loose from this body and all of a sudden we're a different person and everything that God wants us to be, then why didn't Paul know whether he was in the body or out? Wouldn't Paul, if it worked the way that most of the church world thinks it does, wouldn't Paul have related the story by saying, man, I was caught up into the third heaven and there's no question that I was out of the body because, gee whiz, things were different. But he doesn't. He says, I can't tell whether I was in the body or out of the body. Why? Because he's him. He's the same person whether he's in the body or out of the body. I think a lot of people are going to be greatly disappointed when they leave this body behind. Because they've fashioned in their minds that all of a sudden everything's going to be different for them when they get to heaven. People ask questions like, well, we know each other in heaven. Well, do you know each other here? You don't change. Or maybe I should say the only thing that does change is location. Spirits are made in the image of God. Spirits are eternal. They exist whether on earth or in heaven or in hell. They exist for eternity. So eternal life is not longevity. That life of God that comes into us when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives and accept his sacrifice as our own, confess him as our Lord and Savior, that's not longevity of life. That doesn't ensure that our spirits will live for eternity. They're going to live for eternity either way. It ensures that we're going to be joined to Jesus for eternity rather than separated from him and for an eternity in hell. So Paul is writing, he says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, which is far better. But I'm not sure what I'm going to do because it's better for you if I stay. Then he concludes and says, I'm going to stick around for a little bit longer. Not because we wants to, but because it's better for you. Now, when Paul and Peter both identify that the heart is the spirit then it would do you well every time you see, especially in the New Testament, the word heart used to substitute the word spirit. Let's look at a couple of places where we can do that. Look with me over to Romans chapter 10. Notice verse 9 and 10. Paul's writing by the Holy Ghost and he says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth... The Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. Well, the word heart means spirit. So let's read it that way. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your spirit. That God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the spirit man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now notice the connection that he makes. Not only between heart and spirit. He's talking about the spirit when he uses the word heart. And heart just denotes the inward part of man. But notice the connection that he makes between the spiritual exercise. Or the operation of the spirit in salvation. With the confession of your mouth. Now look with me over to Mark chapter 11. I wonder if Jesus knew the heart was the spirit of man. Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus said, therefore, I'm sorry, I'll start to quote verse 24. Verse 23, for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. So what's he talking about? He's talking about what we say. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart or spirit. But shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now if you're not doubting in your heart or in your spirit. Then that means you're believing in your heart or believing in your spirit. Now what is the exercise of believing with your spirit. Identified or defined by. The words that you speak.
The first and foremost way that you can identify your spirit or the operation of your spirit is by the words you speak. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63, he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He also said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, a man shall not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man, who was created in the image of God as an eternal spirit, was made to be fed by the word of God. Your eternal spirit can only be fed by the word of God. There's only one thing that's ever been created in the universe to fit or to feed or to develop your spirit. Or you as an individual, you meaning the spirit of man. And that's the word of God. So what does it mean when we speak the word of God? Well, both Paul and Jesus said that we're speaking from our spirits. Yeah, but what if the word of God contradicts the circumstances? All the more reason to speak what the word says. Because that's your spirit in operation. Now back to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Which is in the sight of God of great price. Let's talk about the hidden man. We asked before what is he hidden from? Well the easy answer is he's hidden from the outward man. He's hidden from the body. But he's also hidden from the soul, the mind, or the intellect. He's hidden from the will of man. And he's hidden from the emotional part of man. Now, what happened when man fell in the Garden of Eden? You know the story about how they were commanded not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan deceived Eve. And then Adam went along with it, which means he had the greater sin, by the way. They didn't fall when she ate. They fell when he ate. And the Bible says that their eyes were opened. And they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. Now, what does it mean when it says their eyes were opened? Did they eat it with their eyes shut? It can't be talking about physical eyes being opened. What does it mean? It means their eyes were opened to a different way of seeing. Now we can tell what they saw by what they re- how they reacted. They saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. Now folks, you don't think for a minute when they ate of the tree that it was forbidden that all of a sudden their clothes fell off of them, do you? They were just as naked before they ate as after they ate. But what they saw had an impact upon them that was different than anything that they had experienced before. They're not ashamed before they eat of the fruit of the tree. They're not walking around saying, hey, you're naked. Eve's not saying, Adam, cover yourself up. Adam certainly wouldn't have said that to her. But you get the point. Their eyes were open to a new way of looking at things. Now before they fell, the only way they had to look at things was by the Spirit. They had the life of God within them. The source of their life was God breathing His Spirit or Himself into man. That caused man to become a living soul or literally an eternal spirit. And now all of a sudden the spirit man becomes hidden in their eyes from the physical appearance and what they felt about it. So what is the hidden man of the heart hidden from? It's hidden from the physical appearance. And it's hidden from what you think because of the things that you see. We say, I sometimes say that the hidden man of the heart is hidden from the five physical senses. 
But it really goes, before, goes beyond that. You know the difference between feelings and the five physical senses, don't you? There are five physical senses in your body. Sight, touch, hearing, taste, and feeling. Well, those don't usually rule us. They influence us. But they don't usually rule us. But most people are ruled not just by their five physical senses, but by the emotions that are generated, whether influenced by those five senses or not. You know as well as I do that a lot of people feel things that have no bearing in fact. We wake up some days and just feel discouraged. We can examine our situation and say, well, what are we feeling discouraged about? Well, I really don't have anything to be discouraged about, but I just don't feel good today. Those are emotions that may not be affected by or influenced by your five physical senses. So we'd have to say that the, five, that the hidden man of the heart, rather, is hidden from not only the physical out, outward appearance of man or the outward man himself, but he's also hidden from the feelings or what we call our emotions. I should say it the other way around, our emotions, which we call our feelings and our intellect. So if the spirit of himself bears witness with our spirit, that means we're going to have to look beyond the soulish part of man, the intellectual part of man, the emotional part of man, as well as the physical part of man to find out what God wants us to do. Now Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, In the last day of the feast, the great feast, he's talking about, Jesus stood up in the midst and cried out with a loud voice, and he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Verse 38 goes on to explain, But this spake he of the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. Now, I want you to compare Proverbs twenty twenty seven with John, 30, John 7, 37. The spirit of man is the candle or the guiding lamp of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. John seven thirty seven. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers, plural, shall flow rivers of living water. Well, according to John, uh, according to Proverbs twenty twenty seven, one of those rivers would be revelation or direction or guidance. And notice where it comes from: out of the belly. Another translation says, "Out of the innermost part of man." Well, that's got to be talking about the spirit too, then, doesn't it? Out of his belly, the innermost part, out of his spirit shall flow rivers, rivers of living water. Now turn with me. We're, we're out of town. We're out of time. I'm not out of town. I'm out of time. <laughs> but turn with me over to Luke chapter 16. We just kind of want to introduce this subject tonight. We may go back over some of this in greater detail later on. But look with me over to Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a story. A lot of people think it's a parable, but he didn't say so. That tells a lot about life after death and how things were before he came, well, before he was raised from the dead, I should say. Notice beginning in verse 19, he said, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now, please notice in verse 19 and verse 20, the word certain. The presence of the word certain, especially used twice, means that it's impossible for this to be a parable. Parables are stories that reflect or or, or stand for, illustrate something else. For example, Jesus used parables in saying things like, the kingdom of God is like a tree, that's, uh, a seed that's planted in the earth and grows into a mighty tree. 
Something is like something else. Here where he says there was a certain rich man and a certain man named Lazarus identifies that these, really, these men really lived. And so the story is really true. Now obviously he's telling us this story by revelation. This is supernatural revelation. It's a gift of the spirit in operation for him to even know this, much less to relate it to us. So there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now remember when Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, Here's the difference in Jesus, the time when Jesus is talking about before the resurrection, before his resurrection from, uh, from death, and how things work today. Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. The beggar died and was with Abraham. Now, why was he not with Christ? Because Jesus hadn't come to the earth died on the cross and been raised from the dead. Now, when the Bible says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he led captivity captive, what that has to mean is he brought all these people that were in Abraham's bosom to heaven with him and presented presented them to the Father. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he... He, the rich man, is still alive. Not alive physically, but his spirit is still alive. His spirit still exists. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, let me ask you a question. What's being tormented? It's not his body. His body's been buried on the earth. So this is not physical pain. Folks, there's an element to hell that I don't think we understand. And I think it's a good thing that we don't. But on the other hand, if we did understand it, if we really did have a taste of what hell was like, I think it would give us a greater incentive to make sure nobody goes there. This is not physical pain. See, a lot of people think about physical pain or torture or whatever, and they think, well, I could put up with whatever comes. This is so much further than anything physical that we can't imagine. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now notice some things about this. First of all, The rich man recognizes who Lazarus is. The rich man has a desire to be cooled with water. So he remembers that from the earth. And he requests of Abraham that Lazarus would dip the tip of his finger in water. Which means Lazarus must have fingers. And take the water that he dips his finger into and cooled the rich man's tongue, which means the rich man still had a tongue. Sounds like he looks like he still has a physical body, which simply means your spirit looks a lot like your body. It can't be the physical body because both of the physical bodies were left on the earth. The rich man was buried. Doesn't tell us anything about Lazarus having a burial. I guess he was too poor to have one. Abraham responds, verse 25, and says, Son, remember. So you must be able to remember. That's a function of the mind, isn't it? Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and thou art tormented. 
Abraham has full recognition that the rich man has a memory of what things were like on the earth. That's a function of the mind, not the brain. The brain's in the body, buried back on the earth. But the mind is still intact. See, the soul is not made up of the brain, the will, and the emotions. The brain's a part of the physical makeup of man. But the mind makes up the soul with the will and the emotions. Verse 26, and he said, beside all this, besides the things you remember, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from where you are. In other words, everybody involved is captive. Another proof that when Jesus led captivity captive, he's talking about taking the people in Abraham's bosom with him. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now here it shows his emotions. He has concern for his brothers that are still on the earth. Now remember folks, his body is dead and buried. These are not physical feelings. This is a function of the soul. We see proof positive from this story that Jesus tells that both the spirit and the soul exist after death, the death of the body. Yet the soul is not what God leads you by. It's not the intellectual part of man that the spirit of God bears witness with. Even though it is a part of the eternal makeup of man, it's not the part where God guides us. The Old Testament says, in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your spirit and lean not to your understanding or your intellect. See, folks, there's a very big difference between your spirit, which is designed to gain knowledge from God's word, and what you think things ought to be or the way you think things are. And most Christians go by their minds. They go by their thoughts. They try to ascertain the will of God according to what they think they should do. Then they do according to what they think. They lean to their own understanding. And in most cases, you miss God. So we see the rich man's spirit and soul intact. So he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back to my father's house. I've still got five brothers. He remembers them and he cares about them. Have him testify. Have Lazarus testify to them. Tell him about what happens after life or after death, I should say. Tell them what happens if you live the life I lived. I don't want them to come here and be joined together with me. Now, if we talk about the hidden man of the heart, notice how the devil works. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this world, meaning the God of this time, Blinds the minds of people lest they should believe. Here's a great example of of a person whose mind was blinded. Whose thoughts were influenced so that he missed out on the truth. And paid the consequence of eternity in hell. Now does it mean he never heard? Well he knew who Abraham was. He didn't say, hey, you over there seems to be in charge. Who are you? Tell Lazarus to come over here. He knew who Abraham was. So what was he blinded to? Well, apparently he was blinded to the need to keep the commandments of God in the old covenant. Apparently he was blinded to the truth of God's word and the keeping of that word. And that's what he wants Lazarus to go back and straighten out for his brothers. 
One scripture that's always intrigued me is the Bible says when we finally get to heaven, stand before the Lord. It says there comes a point in time when Jesus wipes away every tear. And I always wondered, what are people crying about in heaven? If departing and being with Christ is far better, like Peter said, or like Paul said, excuse me, then what are people crying about in heaven? Well, there's only two things I can come up with that people might cry about. When their eyes are open, they see things the way they really are. Number one is the people that they loved here on the earth that aren't with them in heaven. That'd be a cause for great sorrow. But the other might be just as much sorrow, at least in the case of many people. And that is when they see the things that they missed out on because they didn't believe and act on the word. Because they allowed their minds to be blinded by the God of this time. If Satan is the God of this world, meaning the God of this time period, how is he operating? By blinding people's minds to the truth of the word. He keeps their spirits hidden from them through the lack of knowledge of the word of God, first of all. And secondly, through disobedience to what they know it says. And it robs them of blessings just like it robbed the rich man of an eternity in heaven. So he says, tell Lazarus to go back to the earth and let him testify to my brothers. I don't want him to come to this place of torment. Abraham answered in verse 29 and said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's what, they, that's what the rich man didn't hear. That's what the rich man wouldn't accept, wouldn't believe, wouldn't obey. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one went from to them from the dead, they will repent. Even after the death of the body, the unsaved still try to have it their own way. Abraham answers and says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, we might say the word of God. If somebody doesn't listen to the word of God, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Well, we have one that rose from the dead. His name is Jesus. And look at how many people refuse to believe even now. So what do we see? We see that man is an eternal spirit made in the image and likeness of God. He has a soul made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And he lives in a body. Upon the death of the body, the physical body, both the spirit and the soul exist. Now let me close with this. I trust that you know over in Romans chapter 12, Paul talked about doing something with the mind. He said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The conforming to the world is the way that the world operates during this time period while Satan is the God influencing mankind. Hiding man's spirit from him, hiding the blessings, the benefits, the guidance of the spirit of God from him by covering it up with thoughts and emotions and feelings. So Paul said, be not conformed to this world, but be renewed by this but be transformed, excuse me, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, determined by experience, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of the Father. What do you think happens to the soul of the, the unrenewed soul of the Christian after the death of the physical body? You think he all of a sudden just knows everything? That wouldn't seem quite fair. For you and me to dedicate ourselves to the learning of God's word and the obeying of God's word, the renewing of our mind to God's word, but everybody starts on an even even level when we get to heaven. My point is very simply this, folks. The soul has to be renewed, whether we renew it here on the earth or whether we have to take the effort to renew it after we start getting to heaven. The soul must be renewed. 
Man is the spirit. He has a soul. And he lives in the body. God expects you to do something with your soul and your body. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new spirit. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can't be talking about physical things because you don't get a new body when you get born again. Might be a good thing for some of us if we did. What things become new? The things of the soul don't become new because you still have a responsibility to do something about the soul and renew the mind. What becomes new? The spirit. The spirit is recreated at the salvation experience. Thank God he made us in his image. Thank God he made us an eternal spirit. Thank God for the privilege that we have to be led by the Holy Ghost. The thing I appreciated about Brother Hagin, I think more than anything else, was that he taught me I to hear the voice of God. It dominated everything that he ever did, everything he ever said. The reason he was such a person of love was because he was spirit conscious. We should be too. Amen? Say it with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. My spirit is the candle of the Lord. The guiding lamp of God. Searching from within my spirit. All the things that he wants me to do. And giving me direction. In every area of life. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.